Now James has spent the first 18 verses talking about how we respond to trials and how we respond to temptation. Now today he's going to talk to us about how we respond to truth. How we walk our talk. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they respond to Scripture. And James is going to show us that the evidence is obedience. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote and said, Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. What James, in a very practical way, shows us today that little stuff is the evidence big stuff. Little stuff is the evidence of big stuff. James is addressing our response to truth, whether we are simply hearers or hearers and doers. But you'll notice that James doesn't bring up maybe the kinds of things we would think he would bring up. He doesn't bring up church attendance. He doesn't bring up your quiet time. He doesn't bring up where you serve in the life of the church. He brings up things that we would probably perceive as little stuff. Things like listening and talking and anger. Because these are the things that give evidence of big stuff. These are the things that give evidence of life-transforming stuff. Maybe you heard about the pastor who was having difficulty with his assigned parking space in the church. They had very few parking spaces, so there was a place in the back that they wanted to make sure the pastor had a place to park every Sunday, so they put up a sign that says, this space reserved. But every Sunday when the pastor would pull into the parking space, somebody would already be there. And so the pastor thought, well, you know, they're maybe just not getting the hint, maybe the sign needs a little bit of clarity. So the next week, a new sign was put up that says, reserved for the pastor only. But still, when the pastor showed up, somebody was in his parking space. And so he thought, I need to be a little clearer. And so this time, he puts up a sign that says, thou shalt not park here. And sure enough, the next week, somebody was still in his parking space. So he came up with the way to make sure nobody ever parked in his parking space again. And sure enough, the next Sunday with his new sign, there wasn't a single car in the spot because the new sign read, the person who parks here preaches the sermon on Sunday morning. (laughs) Well, the fact is, dear ones, this is a text that every single one of us in this room ought to preach. And this is a text that ought to preach to every one of us. Little stuff, daily stuff that we have a tendency to overlook is the evidence of new life. James is pointing out that at some point People have forgotten that God really does care 
about the way we live our lives. James says in verse 21, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When we humble ourselves and receive the word of God as truth, God implants His word in our lives. And by the way, He has to implant it because it is not natural to us. It is not native to us. It is foreign to us and has to be implanted in our lives. And when God implants His word in us, our soul, the Bible says, experiences salvation. Our soul experiences eternal life. So it begs the question, how do we know that the word of God has been implanted in us? Well, look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The word deceive is a word that refers to incorrect reasoning, right? So James is saying when we are um, only hearers of the word and not doers of the word, we are deceiving. But the question is, who are we hurting when we walk away from the word of God unchanged? Who are we deceiving? When we walk away from the word of God unchanged. And James says we are deceiving ourselves. James says you want to know what it looks like? It looks like this. Here is a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now, by the way, ladies, you'll, uh, I hope, appreciate this. The reason why James says, for a man looks at himself in the mirror and not a woman looks at herself in the mirror is because a study was done not too long ago, a survey was done, and you may not be surprised to find out that men spend 56 minutes every day looking into a mirror and ladies spend only 43 minutes a day looking into a mirror. Men look at their reflection 23 times a day, only 16 times a day for women. So that's why James says men. For some reason, we like to look at ourselves. James says that someone who hears the word but doesn't do it is like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. I mean, can you imagine looking at yourself and then walking away and forgetting what you look like? No. But how many of us get up in the morning, read God's Word, and not be changed? This isn't the way it is supposed to be. We are to look intently the Word of God. About a week ago, I was sitting outside with my grandson, and uh, uh, part of our driveway was uh, in the shade, and so I took a chair and went outside and sat down and, and sat little James on my leg and was just kind of bouncing him up and down on my leg, and all of a sudden, I noticed James just completely bend over, you know, and I thought, I'm going to drop him, you know, and so I held on to him a little bit tighter, and I tried to pick him up, and I couldn't, and all of a sudden, I realized that there was an ant crawling across the driveway, and James was in a trance watching that ant just like this, 
And I mean, he just watched that ant crawl across the driveway. That is exactly what it means to look intently at the Word of God. James is saying in the midst of the busyness that is your life, you need to stop at some point every day and look intently at the Word of God and allow the Word of God to look intently at you, into you. Take a look at verse 25. James says, But the one who looks, and there's the intent, the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, will being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who regularly absorbs the perfect law that gives freedom will not forget what he sees and hears. And this is the apex of James's argument. Are we looking and doing? Looking and doing. Looking and doing. Because doing is the key to blessing and happiness. So how do I know if the Bible is alive and active in me right now today? Right? How do we know that? How do we know if the Word of God is alive and active in each of us right now today? Well, go back up to verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce a righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now this is an important text. Because we all know the real battles of life are not the battles on the outside. You know what my greatest struggle is? My greatest struggle is always the man in the mirror. And your greatest struggle is always the person in the mirror. What we are on the inside matters more than what happens to us on the outside. And that's where the book of James is incredibly relevant to us today. He tells us to be quick and slow. And by the way, these are not words that refer to speed. The word quick means to be eager and ready. And the word slow means to exercise restraint. So it begs the question for us this morning. What kind of little stuff is the evidence of big stuff? Well, let's just break it down in a few questions that James is wanting to penetrate into our hearts. Question number one, are you eager to listen? Are you eager to listen? Right. If you go into any novelty shop in Gatlinburg, you will see a t-shirt that says, Help, I'm talking and I can't shut up. 
right? And when you see that t-shirt, you automatically start thinking of all the people you want to buy it for, failing to realize it's really perfect for you, right? It's like Whitney Woodard this week who posted online and said, my wife says I have only two faults. I don't listen and some other stuff she keeps rattling on about. (laughs) In this context, this listening starts when we pay attention to what God says in His Word. Right? In the first century, believers didn't have all the advantages that we have today. They didn't have printed copies of the New Testament. There are some scholars who tell us that James was the first book written in the New Testament, written perhaps 10, maybe 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So they, they couldn't read the Gospels. They, when they gathered together, they, they couldn't read Acts. They couldn't read Um, Paul's letters or revelation because they hadn't been written yet, right? They, They didn't have the Bible on their smartphone app so they could read it wherever they went. No, for them, hearing the Word of God meant listening with other believers and listening as the Word of God was being taught. And as it was being taught, they were begging God to let His Word set upon their heart and feed their minds and change their lives. They were meditating on everything God said. They were memorizing everything God was saying through James and what they were hearing. I wonder if our modern technology has made it so easy to hear the Word of God that we hardly hear the Word of God at all. Technology is useless if we are so busy and so distracted that we are not quick to hear. What God has to say. How do I know if this may be true of me? Well, if I get up every morning and my first inclination is to go to Facebook before I go to God's book, then I've got a problem. Right? If my first inclination is to go to Facebook to keep up with the Joneses instead of going to God's book to find out more about Jesus, then I've got a problem. Being quick to hear doesn't happen by accident. We have to plan to hear the Word of God. Secondly, James is asking, do you practice restraint when you talk? In other words, do you speak only after carefully weighing your words? That's what Solomon was pointing out for us in uh, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2. God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Right? It's hard to argue with, with that. We are not as smart and clever as we think that we are. We should speak after we have been spoken to by God. It takes us two years to learn to talk. And then it takes the rest of our lives to keep our mouth shut. 
And the power of speech is one of the greatest powers God has given us. Dear ones, it is with the tongue that we can praise God and pray and preach and share the gospel. And it is with the same tongue that we can destroy a reputation or break a heart. Words matter. I said words matter. Never think, well, they're only words, right? It's, I mean, it's not like I'm doing anything. No, dear ones, our words matter. In conversations, in emails, in texts, in blogs, and phone calls, everything we post on social media give evidence of what is happening in our hearts. Much of the strife in our families or maybe our offices or our schools or our churches is often because of foolish words. For example, I know that adultery is perceived by us as a big sin, and it is. But I have never seen adultery destroy a church. But I have seen something that we perceive as something little like gossip absolutely wreck a church and cause God to write Ichabod above the door for the glory of the Lord is departed. If you and I don't practice restraint when we speak, if we don't bring uh, our tongue under control to the Word of God, then we bring into question whether or not we are really in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I know that the First Amendment of the Constitution guarantees us the right of free speech. The First Amendment of the Constitution in our political skirt culture gives us the right to blurt out whatever we feel. But listen to me today, dear ones. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you surrendered that right. We must stop blurting out whatever we feel and bring ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. Proverbs has more to say about our words than anything else in our lives. Why? Because words matter. They matter. Even babies know they matter. In verse 26, James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. And this person's religious religion is worthless. By the way, the Greek word for religion is um, usually translated worship. Right? So this verse literally reads like this. If anyone thinks he worships but does not control his tongue, he deceives his heart and his worship is worthless. Can I just ask you today, dear ones? Is that you? I mean, are you man enough? A woman enough? Are you sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit of God to just let the Spirit of God speak? Could this be me? Could this be you? What we say and how we say it matters. Do you practice restraint when you speak?
do you speak only after you have been spoken to by God? Third, are you in control of your emotions? Anger refers to a deep-seated rage. It doesn't refer to a moment of displeasure that is soon gone and forgotten. James is talking about an emotion which, when released, is like a volcano and it just erupts. And by the way, emotion, dear ones, is an emo- anger is an emotion that we control. You know how you know that? Here's how you know that. Right? You've got some kind of dispute in your home, and so you and your spouse are maybe kind of sparring back and forth a little bit, and all of a sudden you get mad, and some choice morsels are flowing from your tongue, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and right in the middle of your anger, hello, how are you? Oh, I'm so glad you called. It's so good talking to you. Have a great day. Hang up. And what did I say? See, I mean, that's the way it goes. It's an emotion that you control. And notice the progression that James is talking about. James is saying, if we're quick to hear, we'll be slow to speak. But if we're slow to hear, we're going to be quick to speak. Why? Because quick speaking leads to quick anger. And James knew that we would struggle here. And that's why he added these words. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, so put it away. Put all this filthiness and rampant wickedness away. Anger can never produce a life pleasing to God. Anger only destroys. It never builds up. Angry Christians do not make Christianity attractive. Question number four. Is your worship acceptable to God today? This is a question where we just honestly ask the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us. James says in verse 27, Religion that's pure and undefiled before God is to do this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That word is sometimes translated distress. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. So how do we know if our evangelical, conservative, Bible-based religion is acceptable to God? Two things. Number one, our compassion. Our compassion. True worship moves us to action. We can never substitute having another church service for just rolling up our sleeves and getting down on our knees and getting into the lives of people. that are hurting. And notice that James singles out two groups. He singles out orphans and widows. Those who are alone and those who are forgotten. Do you know what that means? I used to think I did. Right, I'm getting close to wrapping up four decades of ministry, 40 years of serving the church. I've served a lot of widows over the years, and I guess I just always thought I knew what that meant until last week. Most of you know
most of you know that um, a little over a month ago, my mom went home to be with the Lord. And last um, Tuesday, I think it was, my sister called me and my family had gone to the mountains for a few days. And it was the first time my dad had gone to the mountains without my mom. And he was having a hard time. And so um, and I took a day off on Thursday and, and went up to Pigeon Forge to spend the day with my dad. And um, Friday morning, 4.30, quarter to 5, I could hear him. Uh, up and so I got up and we grabbed a cup of coffee and we went outside and sat on the deck and and he said son I want to tell you about a dream I had where I was sitting on my couch in my house and your mom walked in and I stood up and I said Betty you found your way home and she looked at me and walked straight to me. And my mom was blind. She could not see. So she walked straight to me. Hugged me. And she reached over to kiss me. And when she kissed me, I woke up. And he wept and I wept and we wept. But I will tell you, as he described his life, that was the very first time I understood what it meant to be a widow, to be alone. Being a widow means nothing will ever be the same again. And James is saying, here is one test of true religion. Will you care for those whose need is greater than you can even understand? Like widows and orphans. I would ask you, church, to pray for our, our mission team. Today, we'll be having a long-distance conversation about a group of orphans and widows in Honduras that outside of you and me, outside of our church, they have nothing. We have ministered to them for a few years. And I just believe in my heart God wants us to do more. So this is a timely word. And, and by the way, just for clarity, the religion that God approves, the religion that God gives us of caring for widows and orphans, it doesn't just end there. It also includes the unborn and the sick and the dying and the homeless and the disabled and the immigrants and the victims of sex trafficking and any others that the world might have a tendency to overlook. It really includes all of them. Our compassion and finally our character. James concludes by saying to keep oneself unstained by the world. In other words, we must grip our hurting world while at the same time not letting our hurting world grip 
us. That's the point. It speaks to where we go and what we do and what we read and the games we play and the movies we watch and the music we listen to and the language that we use. And notice that James doesn't say, keep others unstained by the world. No, it's, why don't you worry about you? And why don't I worry about me? And it doesn't mean that we don't hold other people accountable. I mean, the Word of God clearly says we do. But what it does mean that I don't ever look into somebody else's life until I have looked into my own. It always starts here. So how many of us, this morning, right now, today, would be only interested in one thing? Not what anybody else thinks or what anybody else is focusing on. What if every one of us just said, I'm going to look at the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and I'm going to let God speak into my life. And I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And some of you may look into the mirror and find out your greatest need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And by turning from all known sin and placing your faith in Him, you can discover the redeeming gospel right now today. And for some of us, it may mean turning from sin, confessing our inability to listen, not having control of our tongues, not having control of our emotions, not caring about the needs of others, and especially not willing to look inside at the man in the mirror. 